When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Product Coffee, a podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. All right, we are going to be talking about uh, another iteration of strategic planning this week. Um, last week, Taj and I discussed kind of North Star vision exercises to get to kind of where we want to be as, a, as an organization, but then wanted to get more into the detail on on the rituals, the practices, the, the documents, the templates, like let's get into the weeds there a little bit of what has worked well for you in the past. What are you doing to now? Because we're kind of getting into that planning cycle. So um, maybe I can kick us off with that question of what is that strategic framework that you all use today, Lou? How would you best describe it? First, what strategy level are we talking about? Are we talking organization-wide or are we talking like product vertical-wide? I think they're both two kind of slightly different things. In my current role at the moment, we're doing a lot of organizational strategy development. Like how do you structure the topology? Is that kind of what you're thinking? It's everything from what as a whole does our product need to do? Like, you know, your mission vision exercise is part of this. And then ultimately, how do we achieve it? And how do we maneuver through? Um, I'll give a great example, which is, okay, let's say we're going to launch this product, and we have a particular go to market strategy that might influence some of the features that build so that we can hit that go to market so that we can go do this other thing. When I think about product strategy. If we have a good mission and vision and we're aligned on what that is, then we take a step back and we need to start asking ourselves the market and the business questions first. What businesses or who's going to pay for this? How are we going to talk and find those people? And then ultimately speaking, we can start backing into the features and the roadmap that's going to support that functionality. But I think it's better if you start first with using that to guide how you're going to get there. But if you have the right North star, you can kind of go that direction. In that respect, do you all have, like, is this pre-product market fit type of strategy or is this kind of like growth and acceleration or a blend? In in the particular company that I'm with right now, I think, you know, our, uh, one of our marketing heads would probably describe us as like pre-product market fit. Like we have paying customers, but we haven't hit that acceleration path yet. That is, you know, where our cost of acquisition goes down drastically. And, you know, people are coming to you, people are finding you versus you finding them, which I think is a good way to phrase it. So in our world, we're kind of thinking about the how can we get ourselves to people finding us and agreeing that solution. Um, I'm kind of curious for you, Kevin, as well. It's like, is that kind of the same? You guys must be more in the growth mindset area. Yeah, we're probably more in growth at this point. There's always always kind of a balance, maybe a percentage of bets and innovation that you want to take and maybe product market fit expansion that you lead into that strategy. But I would say the majority of our investments this, this quarter, at least, or this upcoming quarter have been more in the growth angle. So trying to accelerate and and trying to reduce, um, 
friction within the value prop that we're, we're currently servicing. With that, there's always new features um, that you could potentially do or, or you know, reduction of, of um, friction. So we're removing potential features that are, aren't being used or enhancing or what have you. But I think it's kind of a mix of that. But if I were to have an allocated percentage, I would say it's probably about 80% that growth, 20% more um, of the product market fit expansion innovation type of exploration work. And then now in terms of the way that we are approaching quarterly planning, this will be my first session with this company. I'm currently at a company called share through there are two sided, um, uh, ad tech exchange, two-sided marketplace, and they primarily uh, were represented in the industry on the supply side, so an SSP, an exchange. With, with that, the way that we're approaching it is we have these two customers that we service, but there's a lot of different value receivers in that ecosystem. It is a multi-sided value prop uh, for a lot of different people within that two-sided marketplace. A lot of, a lot of people in it. Um, and uh, it is kind of oversaturated and crowded. And so it's how do we keep focused on those end users of those two sides and then how do we accelerate further within each of those we really want to uh, transcend the commodity thinking within the ad tech ecosystem which is kind of uh, overly saturated and competitive and so how do we start to innovate as we start to move into strategic planning and set the teams up with the right mindset to plan the roadmaps that aren't filled with like table stakes, if that makes sense, like table stakes bets, right? And how do we think more innovation? So I, I think with that, you know, our, our process today, you know, defining that vision or North Star is a part of it and then extracting the directives on the topology to that customer and core job. And if we can do that, I think that incites the innovation. It's kind of like we're saying the, the same thing there. And I think, you know, artifact wise, you know, I, I always feel like this stuff's best represented almost by kind of some type of, I'd almost call it like a pitch deck, right? Like it's the, here's the direction we're going. Here's how we know it's the right direction that we're going. And we should always be checking in with ourselves, you know, that it is and explaining to people, I think from an alignment perspective to say, we're going this direction and not constantly slamming the why we're doing that. And the reasoning behind it uh, is a miss. That's something that breaks down the alignment really quickly. You want people to know where we're going and then why. And then the rest of it's kind of a story. It's like you want to be able to tell the story of, and it's got to be kind of a logical, almost scientific-based story. Like we are going to take this series of actions with this business group, with this go-to-market area, with this product, because of this data that we have. And ultimately, that's going to influence the things we build, which is kind of down at the bottom of that strategy. A roadmap alone is not a strategy. The roadmap is the output of the strategy. As product leaders, your role needs to be able to be a good enough business generalist to look at that strategy and be able to help identify all the areas of your product. Because if you build something, but you don't know how you're going to market it, you don't know if it can be marketed and you might not be building the right thing. I'm kind of curious if you if you agree with that format or if you guys do something different. It's generally the same-ish direction. Like I said, this will be my first go around, so we'll, we'll find out. Uh, from from what I've uh, done some research on internally, that's that's kind of the gist of that direction. Now, I think there's kind of two, there's two kind of artifacts we can kind of talk about and see what examples that we've experienced in the past is the roadmap itself and then the um, guiding kind of 
executional framework, right? Like an example being OKRs. On that side of the coin with the strategical frameworks, OKRs I, I've I've had exposure to and and prefer. And then I've also experienced like big rocks that kind of bet, you know, you're betting those kind of initiatives and then um, pebbles and sand. That's kind of the methodology there. Uh, that kind of leads into the roadmap of the output of like, how do we actually illustrate those um, executional frameworks on as a, on top of that um, roadmap? And then the two sets of roadmaps that I've had exposure to is that you know, the, the Gantt, right. The typical Gantt with the, you have features, deadlines and, and, and what have you. And I've also had the now next later, which is more kind of outcome driven, outcome oriented to me, what, from my experience, those outcome oriented now next laters or now next futures with problem areas and maybe, um, intentions paired with that, um, OKRs is the most powerful that I've seen that allows and enables the team to be more scientific. Yeah. I'm curious to see Lou, how, what are your exposure to those two things? Generally speaking, in terms of just the overall org strategy. Yeah, so that you have the strategic processes, like are you more OKRs or do you, um, yeah, what is that organizational framework? And then what does the output look like to you? Is this Gantt? Is it a 12-month rolling? Is it a 333? Is it a now next later? Like what is that? I would say, okay, so exposure-wise, I think every there's different methods of handling it. I tend to look at things like, when I, when I think strategy, I start thinking about what are we going to be doing? What is our product? What are we going to be doing in two to three years? It's not so much a now, next, later, but it's a two to three year outlook. And then it's a breakdown of the steps that it's going to take us to get that direction. I wouldn't call it a particular like format that we do. And then I think OKRs apply as ways to evaluate the performance along that journey. There's a, and there's two, and there's a, a great example of OKRs in different ways to do them. Some are, you have to understand what phase of the company you're in. So one could be, we're in a construction phase. And so maybe your OKRs are more around delivery of just building a new market vertical. You could have other OKRs that are more around growth or optimization phase where we're trying to make something better. And then you have kind of, you know, different areas in that that you want to tie into that strategy. But from, so I guess from a standard template way that I would think about it, I tend to think about more like it doesn't matter what timeline we're looking at as much as we have somewhere that we want to go. We have that North Star. Now, what are the 10 steps it's going to take us to get there? And then inside each one of those steps is where those OKRs apply because they tell us whether or not we did it and they tell us whether or not we're on the right path. And then we move to the next step. So it's it's kind of like a backwards process on the big rocks where you have these bets and then you're trying to understand what bet, what outcomes those bets would um, uh, deliver. And then that, you know, kind of orienting around those outcome intended outcomes. Yeah. So, I mean, but so, yeah. So thinking like super high level strategy, let's, I'll give a good example of um, this was, this was something I did while at Ibotta. As a company, you know, the goal was to make every purchase rewarding and we really wanted to look at e-commerce. So inside of e-commerce, we asked ourselves the question, if we were to get into market competitiveness, what would we do? And then we drove back down from that and said, okay, well, we need to compete with these couple of businesses. What do they do? And so once we understood what the market landscape looked like and we had kind of a table stakes approach, like here's what the table stakes of the product look like. Then we filtered it back down and said, okay, well, the first thing that we have to do is we have to integrate with these different business solution providers in order to get the data that we need. Okay, so OKR1 is a did we do it? 
how many clients did we integrate with and what period of time does it take us to set up a new client, right? Like those are the values, right? So we accomplished that first step. And then the next step was like, okay, well now we need to build a delightful user experience on top of this. Okay. Well, did we do build the experience? How do we know it's delightful? What metrics tell us that it is? Okay, cool. Now we need to market it. Well, we've got some ways that we're thinking about marketing it. So then do we have the features and the functionality in to support the marketing? Yes, no. What's our cost of user acquisition? All of these steps lead us to get to that North Star vision of getting into this market, right? So that's where I would say is that we break them down just like that and think through each one of those processes, which is one, can we build the core technology? Two, did we create the right user experience? Three, did we market it properly and adjust from there? And ultimately, is it the right business market vertical that we're going after? In that particular case, we marched through that process and it took us about two years. Would you have done it any differently? Yes. I I probably would have done some of the user experience a little differently. I think we focused a little bit more on kind of trying to be market equivalent versus market disruptive. And I think we could have spent a little bit more time not thinking about just getting to where the market is, but starting to think about how we could leapfrog it a little earlier in the process. Yeah, that's interesting. So uh, now the way that you looked at approach the strategy was we have this goal, we have our kind of market that we're playing within, right? Or that that, uh, market we want to break into rather. And then our assumption to break into that market is to, to your point, what you said was establish the, the, the context of the data, then make the right decisions for the user and then drive value and, and drive adoption after that. So. Yeah. I mean, I think even at Speckit, right, we could look at, you know, product strategy being downstream of it's always about that market entry, right? We want to go after this market. Okay. What's the best way for us to do that? And one way was going to be like, you know, let's just say, I, I'm just going to spitball an idea, but let's say that we're going to try to attack a new user segment okay, well, what if we release some type of freemium product that coaches you on how to do this action here and we market that? Well, that kind of tells us something that we need to build and something that we need to test. And that's a go-to-market strategy being eventually turned into a product roadmap so that we can support that, you know, growth, right? It's kind of like get people in and that's that's all part of that strategy. Do you find like that market definition lends itself to more competitive like strategies where you are kind of competing on feature sets or like, is there a way that you define the market that um, enables innovation? You know, that you hit a hard point there, which is like, how do you separate the two versus just being like, oh, I see what they do. So here's what we do. I think there's what I'd call, um, having a market perspective and having a market perspective means understanding where the market has, where the existing products have strengths and where they have weaknesses, and then finding a way to position yourself as either, you know, maybe you're iterating on it, maybe you're innovating on it, or maybe you're changing something about it. And I'll give you kind of an interesting place. We're, we're looking at learning management systems right now. Learning management systems are fundamentally like you take this hours-long course, and at the end, we give you a quiz, right? We've all done them, security compliance training. I'm sure everybody, I say that, and you're probably thinking, oh, I got to do that, the new business, and it's a bummer. What we would say is like, okay, well, that's what the existing market does, and I would probably ask a question, and I haven't asked a question around, do, do people actually retain information that way? So the perspective on the market is 
the current way that we're doing this for compliance is I would say maybe I would say my perspective could be it's antiquated and it doesn't lead to good retention or good user experience. Ergo, here are the things that we believe lead to good user experience, high retention and high value. That's not so much about like diving into that minuscule feature of like, oh, they do account admin like this and we do it like that, or they're $20 and we're 15. Like, it's not that it's having a lens of view about the problem space. I like that. Yeah. I think it it reminds me of two kind of frameworks. It it sounds like you're intuitively going down this path, which is interesting, but that jobs to be done framework of defining the market as a set of people that are trying to accomplish a job. Right. And so in that, in that learning management system, it's you, who are you actually, you know, building for, is it the companies that are trying to educate or is it the people that are trying to get up to speed or like, what is that group of individuals and what is the job that they're trying to accomplish that can kind of transcend the market or create its own market that you can kind of focus on. Well, how do I do that for them better? So then gives you the kind of that angle that also reminds me of the blue ocean strategy. If you're familiar with this is the, you know, the red ocean is where you're competing and features is bloody. And then the blue ocean is more often, you know, it's differentiated enough. It creates its own market uh, within kind of that, that uh, area for those users and, that was very interesting that you kind of intuitively kind of piece those things together in the way you described that. But that's now that I've kind of researched those a little bit further, um, it's kind of helped me think a little bit more innovatively as we start to execute against our roadmaps of, well, if we extract that kind of way that they're doing this today, but at the, at the heart of it, they're accomplishing this task. How can we help them do that better outside of the market? And so that kind of helps you lift yourself up a little bit to say, all right, let's, let's ignore the competitive space right now. How else, or, you know, the, the, the perspective might be, they're not getting that job done well enough and it could be done better. And what could we do? to help them accomplish that and get that uh, done better. And in, in thinking that way, I think that can kind of spark a lot of different ideas. And then you can start to bucket it in that blue ocean framework to say, well, here's the ones that are going to be directly competitive that they can easily replicate versus here's the ones that, you know, the industry kind of usually competes against, but then we shouldn't even do it at all. Yeah. I think it's, I think ultimately it's just about being able to see beyond the feature war it's hard to replicate a perspective. It's easy to replicate a feature intrinsically have a viewpoint as a company. Like that's, that's something that's hard because it means you have to embrace that at like your core of the organization. You make your decisions along that way. But if you're just cloning somebody else's feature, you may not embrace that. You're just looking at it and going, I'm going to, I'm expecting a payday because so-and-so has this feature and like, I'm going to sign up one or two more clients for this in the crossing the chasm style book. Right? Like, that's one of those things that leads you to fall into the chasm because you're just, you're not maintaining, you're not being true to your products and yourself. If we were to give our listeners homework as they're kind of going into their strategic planning processes, is there something that comes top of mind for you? I would say for product managers and is specifically for PMs in the senior and above categories, this is a really good time for you to demonstrate your business skills not just think about it like well, I'm building this, then this, then this. I want you to think about why am I building this? How is it relevant to the business and the market? And you should be able to, I'd encourage you to say, if you can't go to toe to toe with the marketing people or the salespeople to the best of your abilities, 
it's time to start gaining those skills because that's what you're going to need. I would actually study some of these frameworks and just kind of get a better understanding around how other companies do this. It's very helpful, I think, to put things in context or put language to the to the madness, right? I think it's helpful. So definitely educate um, on, on some of these. Uh, in particular, Lenny Richinsky had uh, Shashir on his podcast to talk about their, his frameworks that he's kind of working on this documentation that he's building around strategy. So I would encourage to find that. It was uh, Shashir Moroda of Coda had this uh, great stuff. So we'll, we'll kind of post a link out to that as well because I thought that was great. And uh, yeah, try to use some of that, incorporate that language, figure out a ways to uh, innovate and not think too in the box uh, with this planning cycle. It's your one opportunity to do that. So take advantage of it and do something do something interesting. Thanks, Lou. Thanks for joining. Appreciate your uh, insight talking through some of this stuff. Looks like uh, we finished up our coffee. So go level up. This has been Product Coffee, produced and engineered by me, Kevin Gentry. Through our podcast partner, Anchor, you can now record a voice message and send us ideas or topics to cover, and who knows, we might end up playing it on the show. You can also become a supporter of Product Coffee by contributing a monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Product Coffee on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.